the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 812 for Monday, April 27th, 2020. Uh, greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We take them, we mix them all into an agenda. We mash it all together, try and make some semblance of order out of it, which is really odd every week. Like we'll get questions from you that we ha about topics that we haven't discussed perhaps ever or certainly in months. And then in one week, we'll get, you know, three questions, four questions, like good for the show questions about a topic that just hasn't been around for a while, which is fascinating. And this is this has gone on for decades. And uh, th this week's show is, of course, no different. So we do all that. And the goal is for each and every one of us to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. That's him. That's me. That's you. That's everybody. Sponsors for this episode include a new sponsor, purple.com slash MGG. Uh, a couple of returning sponsors, actually three returning sponsors, devontechnologies.com slash MGG. Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com and Linode.com slash MGG. So you can visit those URLs and then later in the show, we'll tell you about what uh, what to look for when uh, when you go there or what to have looked for when you went there and maybe some deals as well. So that's uh, that's what we're up for today. Pretty typical show. We've got some fun little topics. And uh, as always, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fearful, Connecticut, this is... John F. Braun. It's good to uh, it's good to see you, John F. Braun. It's good to be here, and uh, and I believe we get to say happy birthday to you a few days belated here, Mister John F. Braun. Yes, yes, there it is. All right, good. <laughs> With no fanfare, I well these days, you know, the fanfare is all. Uh, this is this is as good as it, as we can get. So we'll get together. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was also the hundredth birthday of company I used to work for, Pitney Bowes. Really? So, uh, that's okay. neat. Yeah, yeah, and they actually had a. It was neat. They actually had a, a thing on public television talking about, huh. you know, hey, that's kind of cool that a company can stick around for a hundred years. Hundred years, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it was. It was a neat special. It was like, hey, I know that person. Hey, I know that person. Ah, I know that person. That's so, cool. That's cool. Yeah, I actually put it on the TiVo and then downloaded it to the computer using um, CTiVo, which uh, apparently works fine under Catalina. So that's nice. CTiVo is awesome. I leave CTiVo running, uh, and and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's a it's an open source app, for certainly free, uh, that slurps things off of your TiVo, and you can even set subscriptions up. So, like, if there's a show I, I like to watch and uh, and I want to have it you know like slurp it from my TiVo in directly into my Plex library so that I have it there when I'm traveling or something I can easily do that it works out really really well it's great yeah yeah I I I one I it's I I think we've talked about CTVO on the show before but maybe maybe not so there you go there's your first uh we'll call it a cool stuff found for the day but um but there you go CTVO fun we have more cool stuff found to go through, so we might as well just stay with uh, with that, and we'll get to quick tips later. Steve has 
uh, a new app. He says, found this freeware app called Connect Me Now. It does the job of auto-mounting various network drives. It's a bit geekier than some of the other apps I've found, but it does offer granularity that I've not seen before. It supports Wake on LAN and pinging a server before trying to mount it. Oh, that's handy. That way it's not trying to mount... Oh, I could put this on my laptop and only have it mount drives when I'm home or VPN into my network. Huh. I like this idea. Hmm. Because I haven't been able to do that with Keyboard Maestro. Like, I want to have my auto mount script run. But I, like, I thought there would be a way to do it, like, filtering by IP with Keyboard Maestro or even Wi-Fi network name. I don't know that I can use those as the triggers the way I want to or conditionals the way I want to. Then maybe there's a way this would solve that, too. Uh, he says, I was using an Apple script before, but this looks like a slicker way to do it. Now my Synology shares mount reliably on boot remount share after wake up. And this is keeping my Plex server on my Mac much happier. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. We'll uh, we'll definitely link to that. That's cool. Connect me now. I like it. Thoughts on that, Mr. Brun? I'm trying to remember. We had another mounting utility that was brought to our attention a little while ago. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not on this machine. It's on my other machine, um, which I'm not going to look away. Yeah, that would be Mountain, I think. Yes. From Engineers or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can yeah. Mountain do that too? It looks like it does more than just show you what network drives you've had. I thought they had an option to do mounting if you wanted to. Yeah. Oh, no, that's what it, I mean, that's that's part mm -hmm. of what it does. Yeah, yeah. From Appgeneers. I said Cogeneers. It's Mountain from Appgeneers, but we'll put uh, mm -hmm. we'll put a link to that, too. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's the one uh, that I've been that mostly using on my laptop to sort of deal with this problem. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. All right. Um, the folks at IQ, the uh, we talked about it, I think, just after CES, maybe, uh, their new uh, eye vision at home vision tests is what they do. Right. And uh, they, it, it's actually quite fantastic. Like I said, when we first talked about it, I compared it to my doctor's vision test and it was like spot on. They make you do the test, I think three times before they'll even show you your results, which is smart. And then you can do it more to, you know, get your, get them accurate. But, uh, but, they IQ are now offering the personal vision tracker for free to anyone who would like to test their vision from home, avoiding uh, the need of leaving home and going to a doctor's office. He says, then you, you can then get the results uh, to order glasses online from retailers like Zenny, Eyeglasses USA, and I Buy Direct. Uh, they are also waiving their $4.99 per person membership fees for any new accounts created through the end of this month, so through the end of April. And uh, all you need to do is visit IQ.com, E-Y-E-Q-U-E.com, and use the code STAYHOME. So I think that's a pretty cool thing and wanted to share that here. So we put all of that in the show notes so you, you won't miss out. But, uh, you know, I think that's pretty cool, huh, John? Yeah, I, I remember seeing them and I think I wrote a little ditty about them and uh, yeah. confirmed that their results are accurate because I went through the test and it's like, yep, your vision without glasses is 2200, which is what my vision is without glasses. <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awful. You need glasses. Yeah, you definitely need. Yeah. I um, My vision is such that for driving distance stuff, driving, watching movies, that's when I prefer glasses, but otherwise... Um, I'm fortunate enough not to need them 
for, you know, most of daily life, which is pretty good. Uh, all right. Ralph has sort of a cool stuff found in a follow-up from episode 809. He uh, had a photo question a couple weeks ago about uh, EXIF management. And he says, on the Mac, I am using Huda Geo 6 uh, on the recommendation of Todd Oltoff, who was very recently issued a tutorial who has very recently issued a tutorial on uh, screencast online. He says the app is feature rich and the tutorial shortens the learning curve on iOS. He says I'm using hash photo on the recommendation of Allison Sheridan over at Podfeet, And she also did a tutorial on that for Don McAllister's screencast online. Uh, he says, as you mentioned, John, there are several apps available to perform editing of photo metadata after input from the likes of all of you. I am. These are the two I'm trying. And so far, so good. So sweet. Thanks for that, Ralph. We will put links to who to geo and hash photo in the show notes for anybody that wants to follow up on that, too. So and uh, and a link to screencasts online, because that's, you know, the Don and his crew, they rock. And they're good friends, but they they they're probably good friends because they rock. So there you go. Any thoughts on that, John, before you uh, before you move on um, before we move on? Another one I, I recall seeing in our box. Um, someone mentioned that graphic converter, which I have and I've had for ages. Yeah, it's a really nice program. Um, it lets you view the data. Um, but through the GUI, it doesn't, I couldn't figure out a way to edit the data, but I think you can script it. Oh, um, you can script graphic converter that uh, we've done before, or at least it has its own sort of scripting in inside it. So, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Remember when you and I used to, I think you wrote a script one time when we were edited back in like the stone age of, uh, when we were covering shows, I think you actually wrote a script that would resize my photos to be appropriate for, uh, that's right. Yeah. And we would make thumbnails posting. and it would actually graphic mm -hmm. converter. It wasn't just resizing them, although that was part of it. It was resizing them, creating thumbnails and building a web structure that we could upload in like in mm -hmm. its entirety to Mac observer. And then we just linked to it. And that was our magic, um, you know, that that's how we shared photos of Macworld Expo. It was it was a mm -hmm. far more manual process. It was automated by Graphic Converter, but it was far more manual than most people probably thought and certainly seems uh, archaic to do it that way now with what with, you know, everybody else. So it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. All right. Um, so I have been messing around and haven't made this change for this show yet, but it will. It's coming. Uh, I've been messing around. With taking my podcast workflow, which it basically uh, some of the hardware has been changed out over the years, of course. But for 15 years, it's basically been the same where I have um, a uh, I have an external mixer that is where I mix the show live. So like when I'm talking here and, for example, I hear John breathing into his mic, I can just go grab the fader and pull it down, which is what was just happening hint uh there you go thank you mr Braun. so uh i can and i can mix the show live because the whole point of our workflow here is so that i can uh produce the show and upload the show shortly after we uh finish recording so no hopefully no edits and post-production or anything like that so i need to be able to have like faders and, and do that 
So I grab John's audio. I send it out to a mixer. Uh, I, my audio is plugged into that mixer. That's also my interface and preamp, or at least it connects to my preamp. And then, you know, I have to take the music from the computer and out. So it's this hybrid approach where things are coming from inside the computer, outside the computer. It, you know, they're all being sent back outside, mixed, and then sent back inside. And it's fine. I've always felt like, you know, there, there needs to be what's the next evolution. And earlier this week or last week, I was a guest on the focus show with David Sparks. I think that comes out Tuesday of this week. And I decided to try a new thing. So everything was handled internally, John. Uh, and I was using logic to do my mixing. Now, we'll talk more about how I'm going to do all of that and what hardware I'm going to use to make all that happen. But bringing everything inside actually shortened my latency issues which was even better but i had a problem and that was that i needed a way of getting audio out of logic and because of a weird bug in one of the apps that i use uh which is loopback and they're aware of it and working on it i had to seek out something else because i couldn't aggregate loopback into the device that i needed um and I found, I, we used it years ago, we used an app called Soundflower that essentially is a virtual audio pipe, right? And that's what Loopback now does, where, and it, Loopback actually does that and a ton more. But sort of its basic functionality is that Loopback and, and Soundflower would let you create a virtual audio device that you could send audio into and then pull audio out of. Uh, which makes like you can route things inside your computer in ways that you couldn't. Because, for example, let's say Skype or FaceTime can only take input from one audio device. Well, if I have a bunch of things I need to mix together and they're all happening inside the computer, how do I put that into one audio device that, say, Skype or FaceTime can see? And the answer is either Loopback or in the past it was Soundflower. But with Soundflower not really being Catalina compatible, although there is a version that will run uh, and loopback not working in aggregate audio devices, I had a problem to solve. But thankfully, I found a new thing and it is called Black Hole. It's, it's from Existential Audio and uh, and it's it's exactly this. Um, you know, its most recent update, I think, was, you know, two weeks ago or something like that, or at, the, at worst, a month ago. So constantly up to date, supports Catalina and everything else. Uh, and it is it's I mean, it's we'll call it donationware, but uh, but it works really well, doesn't require, you know, reboots or any of those weird things that that would indicate that it might not be compatible with. 10.16 or things like that because it's it's playing in this world in the right way and and it works as part of an aggregate audio device which was my main criteria for doing this so we'll put a link to that in the show notes i was pretty stoked to to have stumbled across it so there you go that's my uh that's my thought for today john it's a little geeky a little audio-y but you know it's uh it's related so and helpful, super helpful to know that more. It, I, I always get worried when I have an app that is critical to my workflow and it's the only app on the planet that does the one thing that I need. Uh, that's never good. And so I was very happy to see Black Hole like under active development. Like, OK, good. Like I got a thing. So pretty good. Right, John? Indeed. Mm -hmm. I have a second one. The second cool stuff found, John. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Ethernet goes at uh, well, I mean we we see we've seen ten gig Ethernet, hundred gig Ethernet, thousand uh, gig or uh, sorry, ten megabit Ethernet, hundred megabit Ethernet, thousand uh, megabit or one gigabit Ethernet, and then we've seen ten gig Ethernet. But what I had never seen before was two point five gig Ethernet. But it's a thing. And uh, there are some devices that support it, including some switches and, and those sorts of things. But, of course, our Macs don't. But they can now with the pluggable uh, 2.5 gig Ethernet to USB adapter. And it's got a standard RJ45 jack on one end of it. It's a little dongle. On the other end, it's got a USB-C uh, port uh, or a USB-C connector. With it is a USB-C to USB-A adapter, so you can plug it into USB-C or USB-A, and it'll give you up to 2.5 gigabit Ethernet, which is really interesting because many um, Internet devices like cable modems and such are putting higher speed 2.5 gig and 5 gig Ethernet, which I didn't even know existed, uh, ports onto their cable modems because... Like my cable connection is faster than gigabit. It, they they call it gigabit, but it's like 1.21 gigabits. So, um, so this would be a way of getting those kinds of speeds in and out of a device like that or any other device. Or you could plug two Macs together this way and and also get that. So that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, and it would it'll work with with anything. But in order to get USB or in order to get 2.5 gig like full speeds out of it, you need USB three. So you can plug it into a USB A port, but uh, just be aware that it needs to be a USB three speed USB A shaped port in order to get the full speeds. It'll work with a say a USB two, but not at the you know only at up to what it's USB two John 480. Is that right somewhere yes. in there? Okay, so pretty cool, huh? And it's forty bucks. Something to, something to do. What do you think, John? Crazy or? Yeah. No, no. I, I, I actually, I, I, I didn't know it was a thing either. I, I thought you just, you know, you had either gigabit or 10 gigabit. Right. Which is what Apple offers right now. But, right. Um, yeah. There's a middle of the, actually I searched around and there are switches that support either 2.5 or five. I don't think there's a seven and a half. <laughs> oh, right. It, Right. Yeah. It makes me feel like there should be, but I, I, I don't know if there are, but I was able to find switches that support either 2.5 or five. So right. when you get your next switch, you may want to, yeah, may want to go for that. Yeah, I know. I, I, it makes me think that maybe that's the answer between, you know, instead of going 10 gig between my switches is 2.5 gig enough, right? Not just switch to computer, but switch to switch to have that backhaul is it, it seems like it's less expensive than 10 gig. So uh, yeah. All right. uh, Scott shared with us a cool thing that we will just link for you and you can go watch. But it's the it's AT&T's Unix Origins video. Uh, and it's just very cool to see all of these folks, you know, from from the I think it's from the 60s. Maybe maybe certainly these folks were involved in Unix uh, origins in the 60s, but it, it, this may have been filmed in the 70s. Yeah, it was done, I think, uh, in early 70s and 72. But um, but it's got a lot of the sort of the, you know, the uh, the, the, the the foundational folks from uh, from Unix and since mac os is based or is unix um 
kind of cool. So we'll put a link to that. Thank you, Scott, for uh, for sharing that with us. Pretty good. Thoughts, Mr. Braun? Yeah, I think the Mac is a result of Next Step, which I believe is a open BSD variation. I think that's okay. I think I that's think the you're branch right. that they took. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, but Unix is great, man. There's so many flavors, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, that's not great. It makes it a pain to develop. <laughs> um, I guess so. I mean, as long as your Unix has like a C compiler and you know all of that stuff, right? It it's things mm-hmm. are fairly portable. But that's sort of the beauty of Unix is it can run on various different processors and all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking here on Wikipedia to see it was open step, which was, yeah, it was one of the BSDs I thought. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure which of the BSDs they say this. You might be right. Open BSD. Yeah. So, all right, Mr. Braun, uh, let's see. So two apps from Plex this week, uh, iOS apps. The first is Plex Dash for iOS, which is great because it's a way to see what's going on with your Plex server from iOS. The iOS app was more of a client that to play things back like and it still is the Plex, you know, Plex without anything is the client app, but doesn't really give you any insight or control over your Plex server. Plex Dash for iOS solves that and gives you iOS control over your server inside an app, which is super Super handy. I, 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 I loved it as soon as I launched it. And I thought, oh, well, this is great. It couldn't possibly get better. But I was wrong because Plex Amp is the other app. If you have your music library on your Plex server, which for me is something I do just by running Carbon Copy Cloner once a week to grab my music data files, you know, all the actual music files and just copy them to the server where Plex runs. And then I just point Plex at that. So if you have all your music on your Plex server, this app is so cool because it, it it's a great playback app, but it also has like this playlist builder. I mean, it's got a ton of things, but the, uh, earlier this morning I was messing around with the playlist builder and it's just like you pick one band and then it starts showing you bubbles of other bands and you just tap them. And it adds them all to this playlist, but it's picking other bands clearly based on like genre and other heuristics or it's it's surfacing other bands for you to select from based on genre. And, you know, like I said, other heuristics so that, you know, it's it's like, oh, okay, I can build a playlist with, you know, these seven bands. And oh, that's pretty cool. Maybe I should add these other three. So that they've they've done a really nice job with it. It's one of the best music sort of discovery of your own music apps. Maybe that's a good way to think of it. Um, so cool. And of course you can share Plex with your friends and family. So uh, like, for example, John and I have our Plex library shared. So if you were to put music into your Plex server, or if you just connect to mine, you could leverage the music that I have in my Plex server. So it's pretty cool. I can, I can turn that on for you. Good. No, no, I think you already did. Did I, I, I can see. Your music folder. You can see music. I wasn't sure if I checked that mm. box for you or not. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. you get to control access based on library in, in Plex. And I don't necessarily turn on music for everybody. But uh, but there you go. Yeah. 
Now, will this, um, I was wondering this because the other day I connected to your library and played back a title. Can you tell if somebody is watching something? Absolutely. Like I, I have my phone set to give me a, a push notification anytime somebody starts playing uh, something from my server. Oh, okay. So then you know the last thing I watched. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I remember seeing. I was like, "Oh, John's watching this." So yeah, and it's and if I if while you're watching now, I can go into Plex Dash and see the status of like how far along you are, what my mm -hmm. server is converting, if it's converting anything, or if you know if it's transcoding anything, or if it's just sending you raw data. Like those, all of those things are available in real time. Uh, from the Plex Dash app, which is cool. So, nice. Uh, yeah, it's cool. All right, I want to I want to take a minute and talk about our first two sponsors, if that's okay with you, Mister Braun. Please. All right, look, Devin Think is maybe the most professional document and information management application for the Mac. In fact. That's why it re-entered the conversation here. We were looking for a PDF manager, really. And people said, why aren't you using DevonThink? We thought, oh, that's right. And then DevonThink came on as a sponsor because DevonThink helps you collect, file, organize, edit, and annotate all kinds of documents. So, for example, you could archive all your email with the enhanced email archiver, right? That's another topic that comes up all the time here. So PDF management Email Archiver, one app, DevonThink. You can scan your paper documents with their revised scanner interface, right? If needed, you can imprint PDFs with custom stamps before giving them to others, right? And then you can organize documents in any way that you want. It has smart groups in it there in DevonThink that let you quickly group data based on searches and the integrated AI actually assists you with the filing and searching. And of course, you can also automate your workflow. You can create smart rules and reminders, even if you're not a programmer, especially, in fact, if you're not a programmer. DevonThink is happy to take over your most boring tasks of managing all of your documents and information. And finally, you can sync your data securely between your devices using your preferred web storage or even directly on your local network. And you can take your data with you with DevonThink's iOS companion app. Even better, you can get 10% off. There's a 10% discount on DevonThink 3 or even upgrades to it for listeners of this show at devontechnologies.com slash MGG. We'll put a link in the show notes to that, of course, and those will be at MacGeekCab. But if you want to remember it, it's devon, D-E-V-O-N, technologies.com slash MGG, where you get your 10% off. Our thanks to DevonThink for doing what they do, solving so many of these problems we talk about all the time, and for being a sponsor of this episode. Up next, folks, is Otherworld Computing. That's right. You know, Otherworld Computing, we always say, is the place where we look when we need to add something to our Macs or our computing life. And now, you know, with us all working from home, some of us have been doing this for a while, and it's no great surprise that we start with Otherworld Computing. For those of you that are new to this, you can start there, too, with some work from home essentials, right? So you might need an external drive, right? A reliable backup system that should allow you to get back to work pretty quickly with data that is as current as possible. And an external drive is not just for your backups, but also where you can store your work-related projects. You might need to be storing more data now. Well, 
get an external drive. You want a dock, right? Because you'll need to make sure you can easily expand all your connection options. You can use those external drives and you can connect to a display or your network. Ethernet's better than Wi-Fi. I think we're all finding that out now as we have more devices in the home working at the same time. The dock is going to make sure that you have the connectivity you need for whatever devices you might have. And then, of course, there's all the accessories, your mouse, your trackpad, your keyboard, your numeric keypad, your headphones, your computer stand or a mount, cables, a scanner, surge protectors, whatever it is you need to make your workspace workable. Other world computing has it. Go check it out. Just go to MaxSales.com. Play around there. You're going to find some stuff that you want. That's what always happens to me. It's great. It's a great thing. Go check it out. MaxSales.com. And our thanks to Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Uh, let's go some quick tips here. And Allison has the first one for us uh, from Podfeet, of course, as we mentioned earlier in the show. show she says, easy for me to say, I learned a great tip from John Syracuse on his Accidental Tech podcast. She said, I wrote a tiny tip about it, which we'll link to. But the gist is, did you know that you can open folders in your dock by holding down command option when you click on the icon so normally and and by default your download folder uh, downloads folder is there but you can put any folder you want in the dock and by default when you click on a folder it shows it in either a fan or a list or whatever you've set it to be but by command option clicking it just opens it in the finder super easy uh, I always I'm always right clicking on the folder and choosing, you know, open and finder or whatever it is to uh, right. to do. Right. And or. Yeah. Yeah. That That's exactly what I do. And now I don't have to do that command option and click and boom, it opens up. So, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Thoughts on that before we move on, Mr. Brun? Nope. OK, cool. Moving on. Moving on. Uh the I found on Twitter yesterday, Dave Mark, uh, who is one of the um, I don't I don't know what the I don't know what his title is. He writes a ton of stuff at uh, Jim Dalrymple's the, the Loop website. But on Twitter, he shared a great tip. You know, when you're on your Apple TV and you get to that point where, you, you know, you could type something in, you can do that now on your phone. Right. Which is awesome. Well, the problem is it buzzes your phone when you or anyone else gets to that point. And that can be weirdly annoying. So the answer is go on your phone, go into settings, go to notifications, go to Apple TV and turn off sounds. So that will uh, that will keep your phone from buzzing. It'll still happen. So if you know that you're the one doing it, great. Then pick up your phone. There it is. You can type your thing in and you're good to go. And if you're not the one doing it, then your phone's not going to sit there and buzz. So share this with everyone in your house uh, the next time you're in front of your Apple TV so that everybody everybody can do it. So pretty good, huh, John? Yeah, that uh, that actually has annoyed me in the past because, yeah, when I was doing something on the Apple TV, it kept buzzing my phone saying, uh, yeah, you can type it in using this and i'm like yeah i know go away mm. stop <laughs> yeah, I, yeah so this is how i can take care of that this is how you take care of that exactly yeah i right i even find it annoying for me not just even when i'm the one driving it's still it's like why is my i know i can go do this on my phone thank you but now 
let's not do this anymore. So, yeah, it's good. It's good. All right. Uh, let's see. Patrick has a quick tip about uh, one of our favorite apps, which is Bartender. And he says, I was asking uh, Ben Surley, who's the developer of Bartender, about getting it to revert to the Mac OS menu after selecting my hidden app. So Bartender is this app. If you're not using it, highly recommended. I couldn't live without it. I wouldn't want to live without it. Uh, it lets you clean up your Mac's menu bar by choosing which things are visible sort of as the main view and then which things are visible in this alternate view. So you can clean up your view, but you can also set cool. You can set it so that if an app it, like if it's if it's uh, dock icon changes, it can then surface that for, say, 10 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever. You can get very customizable with it. It's great. Uh, he was asking Ben uh, about getting the menu to revert after selecting the you know alternate or hidden apps. And he couldn't figure out how to do it. And he points out if you go to bartender gen preferences general, there is a checkbox for auto hide and it says automatically hide previously hidden items after showing them so if you're someone that essentially uses bartender to have two different views you might not want it to auto hide you might want to manually tell it to flip back to your main view and you can uncheck that box to do it so thank you for sharing that patrick i'm i'm definitely going to leverage that that's pretty good and i can see how folks would would want one or the other it's like this is one of those tips that's like oh i didn't know i could do that and two people could say that and mean it exactly the opposite which is great so it's pretty good thought do you use bartender john are you uh are you a user no. of that no i think it's part no. of setup isn't it i think it's in setup so you you can if you're a setup uh subscriber you can use it for free well or for as part of your subscription i should say mm -hmm. don't like to you know setup's not free so uh yeah good thoughts moving on moving on all right listener todd uh we were talking in the last episode mac ecab 811 about those reboot delays uh that uh, i think listener bob was having and todd said this may or may not be uh, bob's solution but I had an issue a ways back ejecting external drives that I uh, used with SuperDuper to mirror my internal drive. The OS would often hang or take forever to eject those disks and also had issues restarting while those drives were attached. What I found was that Spotlight was trying to index these external drives and was hanging things up. To solve this, I added the external drives to the privacy tab under Spotlight in System Preferences. After that change, all those issues disappeared. That's pretty good, Mr. Braun, don't you think? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I had a run-in with that the other day. I was making a tech tool recovery thing. Okay. Uh, they have a way to make like a, a bootable recovery uh, uh, sure. disk. Sure. And I made one, then all of a sudden, because I used a rotational drive to do it, uh, why not? Right. Um, all of a sudden, I heard chattering, and I'm like, what's going on here? And I was like, oh, man, it's Spotlight again. I wish they would default to not indexing anything that it sees, but I guess there's no way to do that. Um, yeah, that's, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it would be, that would be kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Huh. All right. Um, okay. So that was that one. And now Kevin. 
again, a, a, a tip about one of our uh, one of an app that we mentioned constantly here. And Kevin brings us all it's all the way back to 775. So it's almost not uh, almost too far back to, to mm-hmm. say that it's a it's a recent thing. But anyway, he says uh, on that episode, listener Matt presented the use of Arc backup software to backup his Mac to a disk station via SFTP. I was intrigued at the time, but ran into the learning curve hard and gave up temporarily. Uh, in February, I restarted my efforts. There was a lot to learn about the inner workings of my network and the disk station, as well as SSH and SFTP and so forth. He says, I had trouble accessing the Synology via SSH. Then I had trouble accessing the Synology through Arc software. On February 10th, I began an email conversation with Stefan, programmer at Arc support. Though through uh, through personal delays and a new software release and a nuke and pave and many other trials and tribulations, he continued to try and get me up and running. And I had yet to pay him a single penny after the release of version six. I was getting Arc to connect to the disk station, but not actually copy files. Finally, on April 21st last week, he informed me that there was an update and to give it a try. Boom. Arc is now backing up my iMac Pro to my disk station, and it is way faster than Time Machine ever dreamed of being. He says, I just wanted to give a shout out to Stefan and Arc Software for sticking with a non-paying user for over two months to get me up and running. Amazing support for amazing software. He says, I am now happy to be sending money his way and highly recommend this software as the solution. He says, I hope you can pass it on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, Arc Backup. I, I have yet to do this too, um, but this is probably the right thing for for me as well. I saw that update come through last week and I was like, oh, yeah, I got to use this with that thing we talked about. And then Kevin's email came in. It was like, aha. So so there you go. That's uh, that's what I'm going to be doing, John. Pretty good, huh? Mm-hmm. Good. Cool. All right. Uh, Bill. Bill. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Bill has a tip for us. He says um, over time and during a recent uh, for him, iTunes, but something it could be music library migration. He's on Mojave, but this would all be this is all true. What he's about to share with us on Catalina as well. And it's not related to the music app, Uh, although it's close. Uh, He says uh, with this migration, I've ended up with a large number of duplicate files. Mac OS addresses this when their songs by appending a space one at the end of the file or space two, space three. If there are more duplicates, you know, you'd have track a dot MP3. Then you would have track a space one dot MP3 and track a space two, etc. It's easy enough to see in the finder, he says. But when you try to search for these files, you come up with zero results. Finder recognizes somehow that these are duplicates and doesn't see the appended numbers. I found, he said, though, that there's a search parameter in the finder called alternate display names. When you select that, it finds the duplicate files and now you can sort of mess with them and and get them ready. So he says, uh, I'm not sure where else there may be alternate alternate display names, but it may be of use beyond music. I think so. I've, I've certainly seen things like if I if I download something or copy a file to a folder, downloads are a little different. But if I copy a file to a folder, it'll say, do you want to keep, you know, overwrite if it's if it already exists? Like, you know, it'll say, do you want to overwrite? Do you want to keep both? 
Uh, and if you say keep both, it you know it starts doing this. So this might be uh, I like this alternate display names. Pretty. Did you know about this one, John? No. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, I, 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 so I've got a thing going on here, John. When I got that new iMac back in, uh, in, um, uh, July or whatever it was, you know, the, the, I got the 2019 iMac. So I took the 2014 that was in the office and I moved that to the studio here. And then uh, the 2019 I put in the office because that's always what I've done. I put the latest computer that I get in the office because that's the one I use all day. As soon as I finished that process, I, I thought to myself, I didn't need a new computer in the office. Uh, the office machine is plenty fast enough for me. So I think maybe I made a mistake. I should have put the new computer in the studio where you know, I'll use more processing power if I'm like doing recording with the band or whatever. Podcast never really took up much uh, CPU time until we started doing video. And now it does fine. This machine, you know, it, it like it at, at our worst, John, we hit like 75 percent, I think, on the, uh, you know, on the on the on the CPUs, which is fine with video. But. You know, this machine uh, with at least the Geekbench marks that that uh, Mac Tracker uses, this machine here does like, let's say, 14,000. The one in the office does 33,000. So it seems kind of silly to me to leave that one downstairs. So I'm 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 thinking through the process of just swapping the two, which on the surface is as simple as clone them both and then clone them back. Right. Um, in, in reverse. That's a little bit trickier because one of them has Thunderbolt three, one of them has Thunderbolt two. And so I have to make sure I have the right drives to do these clones that'll work on the opposite computers. And then I need to think, how much do I use now that I've had it? How much am I using and relying on Thunderbolt three for my workflows in the office and is moving, you know, away from that going to disrupt things, uh, the easy answer would be to just buy another iMac for the studio, but I really can't justify that. I haven't like this machine is fine and, uh, and, and I don't need it anywhere else in the house or amongst the family or anything. So probably not going to be just buying a new machine willy nilly, but I, I think I will be swapping these. And um, so I've been, I've been thinking through that process and the Thunderbolt three thing is the part where certainly the day the day I got that machine, I didn't have any Thunderbolt three devices, so it was totally fine. But now I'm, you know, relying on Thunderbolt three. I mean, I'm using it with my dock, but I have a Thunderbolt two dock up here. So those would kind of follow with the machine. But I'm using it for my, you know, my clone drive now and my photos libraries and all of that stuff. And yeah, so I need to kind of think through which way I'm going to do this. But I'll 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 share my results of all of that. It's fun, you know. So, uh, I don't know. What do you think, John? Um, I don't think we'd be doing what we're doing now if I still had my 2014 mini because it was kind of wimpy. That's true. Wise. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to have you wouldn't be able to be doing streaming video for this long on that old machine. That's right. Or at least not at at you know, 720p quality. It would probably be coming in at at you know, 320 or something. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The other thing I found, FYI, is that when I did the migration uh, from one Mac Mini to the other, I got Apple's um, 
Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt 2 adapter. It's very specific in that when I tried to use it to migrate from my old MacBook Pro, which only had Thunderbolt 1, it didn't work. You would think it should, but it didn't. Really? Wouldn't see it. So, but you got Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt 2, so you, you should be okay if you get that adapter. I guess that's true. Or I'm true. sure you already have. I, yeah, I have the adapter, but it's more, I mean, I, I need to, at the very least, I need to clone and wipe one of them. And then I can I can use migration assistant or whatever to just or even carbon copy cloner to blast, you know, the the uh, one to the other. Uh, the trick is, though, cloning whichever one I do, cloning that to a drive that's readable on both uh, because a Thunderbolt three SSD, like all the ones that we've been talking about lately, are only the only one that's readable on both is the. The Lassie one that that led us down that path, uh, the rugged SSD the, from Lassie that led us down the path of realizing that my MacBook uh, Air would only see the first device as Thunderbolt if it was on the battery. Right. So. Um, so I need to I need to I, I need to be very careful about thinking this through, but it would be nice to have the eight core iMac up here in the studio. For this, and we're doing a lot of uh, recording with the bands, uh, so you know, having the extra CPU headroom wouldn't be a bad thing. I just can't justify getting another one of those right now. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> MGMG in our chat room at live.macgeekab.com is saying one word: splurge. Yeah, thanks. Easy for uh, for you to say. That's good. I'll wait, I'll wait till I get my um, my. Well, I mean the. the the business related stimulus stuff is for payroll only. So that's not really, um, doesn't really fit. So I don't know. We'll see. Figure it out. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's, um, you know, I want to, I actually, I want to take a minute and talk about our next response. In fact, I'm really excited to talk about the, um, <laughs> This first one here, if that is okay with uh, with you, Mr. Braun. Yes, please. All right. Look, technology has improved just about everything we use, right? Phones and cars, shopping, even our video conferencing, the fact that we can do this podcast, all technology. Mattresses, though, have more or less been the same since the invention of sleep. And that's where... Our next sponsor comes in because the mattress has evolved thanks to purple. The secret to purple is this purple grid, the purple grid, if you will. It's patented. It's this comfort technology that is built to instantly adapt to your body's natural shape and sleep style. And purple is for every body, no matter how you sleep. It's designed with over 2,800 open air channels and naturally temperature neutral gel. So you'll never sleep too hot or too cold. And it's kind of cool. The purple mattress is soft where you want it, firm where you need it, and comfortably cool all over. It's kind of the mattress that does it all. They sent us some samples of this purple gel grid. And it's really cool. I mean, when you put your fingers on it, like it... It sinks when you like poke it, but if you lay on it, then it holds you up. It's it's actually really smart the way they did this. It's pretty cool. So because of that, you can count on resting easy night after night, year after year, because the purple grid is super durable and won't sink or lose shape or anything. It's it's just this 
gel that's built on this grid. You got to check it out on their website. And let me tell you how to get there so that you can make sure to get the right deal. You can experience this next evolution of sleep by going to purple.com slash MGG. Now, while you're there, you'll learn about everything, but make sure you use promo code MGG because for a limited time, you get 150 bucks off any purple mattress order over 1500 bucks. So that's purple.com slash MGG promo code MGG for $150 off any mattress order of $1,500 or more terms, of course, apply and it's a limited time offer. So go check it out and you can kind of see a picture and experience what I'm talking about here. Purple.com slash MGG Our thanks to purple for sponsoring this episode. Look, you want to sleep well at night and that means making sure your server is hosted somewhere that you know is reliable and fast and has all the stuff you want with a team of people that know how to manage servers because that's their job. And that's where Linode, our next sponsor, comes into the picture because every server at Linode, even the $5 a month Nanode server, is hosted on their 40 gigabit network, all on SSD storage industry-leading processors. You can pick from any of their 10 worldwide data centers, and it's cool. You can have the server up all the time, in which case, you know, you can look at it as paying monthly, and I said their least expensive one is five bucks a month, but you can also pay for what you use with hourly billing, which is great if you're a developer or something and you kind of need to offload stuff, but you don't need it up and running all the time, so you could maybe even scale up to a more powerful server and only spin it up when you need it. This is the beauty of what Linode does. And if you don't want to get geeky, you don't have to because you can use their new cloud manager that has this awesome user interface that lets you pick what it is you want to spin up. Maybe it's a VPN server. Maybe it's a WordPress server. Maybe it's a Minecraft server. So you could do both. And you actually could do both on the same server. You don't have to split them. It's a server. You can do lots of things on one server. Go play. Check it out. Go to Linode.com slash MGG. The reason you want to go there is they'll give you a $20 credit just for being a listener here and just by signing up at Linode.com slash MGG. And that means you can play for free. And that's pretty cool. Our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. All right, Mr. Braun. Well, let's go. We've got so we've got a couple of things to talk about with USB-C power. Um, the, the, there's been some interesting developments this week that we will get to, uh, although these developments really just came to light this week. They've, they've been known for a while, uh, but we will start with Bill who asks a really, uh, good sort of foundational question. He says, is it better for us to connect USB-C power cord directly to our MacBook pro or air computers or via a USB-C hub? If we have one that has power pass through, he says, I'm currently connecting power directly to the computer. Uh, I have HDMI, Ethernet and a USB-A hub connected to the USB-C hub. He says, uh, the only info I have to add is that the hub itself is very warm to the touch. So I thought it might be safer to connect power directly to the MacBook Pro. And two, some hubs seem to cause some Ethernet problems when powered directly. Well, that's maybe some off-brand hubs. I haven't experienced that with uh, with the quality stuff that, that we tend to talk about here. Um, 
which is a good data point too. So what do you guys think? Does it matter where we connect the USB power connector? And, and I, my experience says, no, it doesn't. In fact, the whole sort of idea of this is that if you have a hub that is built to deliver power, it's a really nice thing to be able to leave everything, including power plugged into that hub. And then you have one cable to plug into your laptop when you come and you go it like USB-C. It's fascinating because USB-C finally delivers on that that vision that Steve Jobs had of, you know, I want one cable to plug into my computer and it gives you your dock and your power and all your peripherals and your screens and, you know, everything with one cable. So, yeah, that's uh, mainly how I do it here. Is that how you do it, John? Um. Most of the time I plug in directly, but yeah, as you pointed out, you want to make sure if you do do it through a, a dock or a hub that yeah. it supports power delivery. Like, you know, I, I tested the one, the, the OWC one yeah. that, um, that they set me up with, and I verified that, yes, you can get maximum power, but, but it has to be marked as power pass through power delivery. Otherwise, you're not going to get full power. So just keep that in mind. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, I think in in that case, that's that's how I would. I, I honestly don't think there's a whole. There shouldn't be any difference for you, and I think you're safe either way. Power delivery is a is a thing. It is a series of protocols that the device and its power source use to sort of negotiate with each other, and it will. Your device will only pull in the amount of power that it needs at that point. And that will change as it, as it charges when your battery is low, uh, it will take in far more power than it will. Once, you know, things are, are sort of in the 80 to 90% range too. Right. So, and it's cool to have one of those, you know, USB-C power meters to see that happen in, in real time. I, I love mine. I know, I know you like yours too, John. Mm. Yeah. I also like, uh, I set menus shows shows that too right that's true i stat menu shows what your computer is reporting but it's it's fun to be able to see you know what what's happening on the from the the brick itself mm-hmm. so yeah cool all right uh listener craig points out to us that uh you should probably be charging your macbook uh on its right side using the ports on the right not on the left and there was an iMore piece that went up this week. Actually, there were several pieces that went up this week, but they all sort of point back to this uh, post on Stack Exchange from 10 months ago where people started noticing high kernel task usage of their CPU when their Macs were charging and digging into it. Um, it's that if you have peripherals and power plugged into the left side your mac has will have the tendency to overheat while it's charging and when it overheats what it does is it artificially reports that kernel task is using a bunch of cpu but really what's happening is it's throttling it's doing that as a as its method of throttling the cpu down so that it doesn't continue to overheat beyond apple's you know built-in tolerances So and of course, then the fans will run high and all of those things trying to get the heat down. But if you simply take power and plug it in on the right hand side, uh, then that problem is solved. So that's a fascinating little thing. And there's a lot of 
uh, theory, but also a lot of proof as to, you know, their tests and all of that stuff. And we've certainly heard a lot from a lot of you about this, you know, especially the new 16 inch MacBook Pro. But but this this goes back to the the other MacBook Pros as well. Any of the four port MacBook Pros seem to suffer from this. But the 16 inch especially seems to certainly that's the newer one. So maybe that's why we're getting reports about it. But yeah, lots of um, lots of reports of this. So uh, so just bear that in mind. I, you know, it's sometimes more convenient to plug in on the left versus the right. But it's worth trying this out to see if it helps your your setup there. Have you did you experience this as yours? I mean, I assume no. yours. Really? Huh? I I did not experience this. And speaking of not experiencing it, that'll come up in our next question as well. Okay. So I was not able to reproduce that behavior. Interesting. So. Huh. And I usually plug in one place. Yeah. I almost always plug in on the left side. Do you have a peripheral plugged in on the left side too? Uh, like in a general no. sense? No. Well, that's it then. Okay. Cause the peripheral, mm has to be on the if the if you it's if you have well, a peripheral on the left side and then power on the left no, side. No, I did the other day. Yeah, okay. I had a hard drive and I was plugged into power and I don't recall it. Um hmm. Yeah. But I'll I'll double check. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because that seems to be from what I was reading, that seems I don't have a it in the house here, I don't have a, a two a four port uh MacBook, so I can't uh test this right now. But mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, why don't speaking of the, the so there's a little heads up for you folks. And then speaking of all this, take us to uh, the next one there, if you would, please. Mr. Braun. Yeah. And I don't know if I have an answer. Um, OK. I tried to make it happen and it wouldn't happen. So. um, From John problem, 16 inch MacBook Pro gets excessively hot when using external displays. Uh, it's a details. MacBook Pro temperature exceeds 65 C. I guess he's not in the United States. <laughs> when one or more external displays are connected, fans speed up to 3000 RPM and higher. I can't hear music, video calls or anything else over the fans. So it stops my work. Um, I did testing with my 16 inch 2019 MacBook Pro 2.4 gigahertz i9 Radeon 4 gigabytes, 32 gigabytes RAM using a Dell display. Turbo boost was disabled. Uh, GPU auto switch enabled. Uh, the display doesn't have USB-C, so um, so he used a, a dongle or an adapter to uh, to connect, and he tried various different ones. Um, and the results, results he got was that the idle temperature with no external display is 41C, fan 1800 RPM. With um, one display, um, 60C and 3000 RPM, and then with another uh, adapter, uh, 61C and 3000 RPM. Um, cool. Okay, and then let me go to my reply here. So I got a similar machine, Dave, in that I got the MacBook Pro 2.3 gigahertz i9 Radeon 4 gigs, um, uh, 16 gigs of RAM. Okay. So pretty, pretty close. Sure. Um, and I had, you know, GPU auto switch is enabled, but nothing to disable turbo boost. Uh, I've never run it with an external display, though. So this gave me an opportunity to do that. And we'll sure. talk about the display. Um, yeah. Uh, so when idle, here are the numbers that I see, Dave. Um, I see 44C and the fans at 1800. When I ran it with an external display using the Anchor USB-C to HDMI dongle, um, the display... Uh, 
Oh, yes. And the display is a model price 27-inch Crystal Pro 4K UHD. My numbers are way different. And that with a single external display, the CPU temp is 70C, and the fans are running at about 1,800 RPM. So. Huh. Huh. All right. I, I tried to reproduce it, but I couldn't. Now, I didn't do two displays. Maybe I'll try two displays. Yeah. Uh, though I got to get the, all the cabling and stuff for that. Right, right, um, right. And then he also, uh, uh, you know, made some observations or, or just had some, or no. So he made some observations. Um, I guess Apple recommends that um, you may want to use separate USB-C ports um, to distribute the workload. Um, right. And yeah, the default behavior, which I was trying to explore, Dave, but the default behavior is to engage the, re if you're using an external display, as far as I can tell, it, it will always use the Radeon. Um, oh, it, wait, that would GPU. make sense. Yeah, it would have to, right? Because it's got a the internal GPU doesn't have enough uh, capacity, right, to do uh, both. Yeah, and I, I even tried in order to solve the problem. Yeah. Um, uh, so the problem I think is heat with the Radeon, but I actually tried to force it to use the just the uh, um, internal video, the Intel internal video, and you can't do it. Okay. Okay. I tried, and it came up and said, yeah, nice try, pal, but you can't do it. There's That's a utility that lets you see the status sure. um, of which chipset is being used. Um, as far as I can tell, so we had some questions, um, and the answer is as follows. So it was, do you think using a USB-C display would help? And no, I don't think so. Uh, I would say no, because the, the problem here is not power draw related. Right. Um, Right. Uh, he also asked, well, would an eGPU eliminate the stress on the internal GPU? Um, yes, but that's an expensive solution. Um, it's not that. Exp I mean, it's yeah, it's expensive. You're right. It's but it's not terrible. Well, you huh. mm -hmm. But you shouldn't have to do that. Correct. Right, in Correct. my opinion, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. Um, now the thing is, you can see uh, and I, I think he did some f further measurements or got the right version of uh, iStat menus to do this, is that you can see some statistics about the, uh, the Radeon GPU. So, um, and, and I gave him what I saw. So, so there's a Radeon GPU proximity, which uh, I got 30 degrees C versus 67. The Radeon memory proximity, 28 C versus 64. And Radeon high, Radeon high site power draw, I gave him some uh, wattage. Okay values and then there's issues the voltage mm. um but the question in general was uh do you think it's a power thing and and i don't think so and i actually measured it dave okay um for a display or at least this display the wall power per, is the the most of the power draw and i think this particular screen draws about 48 watts though i decided you said you love these things so i decided to use my USB-C current Thing just to see how much current was yeah. was going through and um it measured uh it, it told me five volts 0 0.3 0 0.3 amps are about 1.5 watts so it's not a current draw issue sure from the uh usb-c port from usb yeah yeah okay um right. i mean the only thing i could think of dave is that you know it's a thermal management thing because uh, SMC, the system management controller in the Mac, one of the things that it does is handle fans and other thermal management features. So resetting the SMC may be a way 
to uh, get around it. The other thing, even though it's counterintuitive, is maybe this Turbo Boost disabler is confusing the power management in the Mac. Maybe I, I haven't know. I haven't experienced that, but uh, but I mean anything could happen. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? Yeah. I mean, the only other thing I could think of, you know, just to cover all the bases here, is that on this machine, there's the, the fans blow out the rear, and then I think they suck the air in on the sides. I think the sides is also where where some of the speakers are, but you just want to make sure that those are all, you know, clear. Yeah. And also the thing is. On pretty much every Mac, I think, or, or portable Mac, the metal case does dissipate some heat. So just, you know, yeah, maybe get a stand. Uh, the, the thing is, don't have it on a surface that would insulate and block the... Don't, uh, don't sit it down I, on a I, pillow I or anything. Right, right. Right. Uh, I hope he's not doing that, but just, just yeah. in case. The well, your lap is also an awful... Uh, or it's a great insulator, which makes it awful for this mm. scenario, too. But probably if he's got external displays, it's probably not sitting on his lap. That's yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So and when um, you tested, did you have the display plugged into the right side or the left side? And where was power plugged in? It was on the right side and I was running on battery. Aha. Um, Aha. OK, so. The test would be plug the display into the left side and run on power and see what happens, because mm -hmm. that would that would, I think, more uh, accurately approximate his scenario. Right. Because I think he's using battery in his uh, using power mm -hmm. in his and then also which which would factor in with a USB C display because USB C displays. I think his display mm -hmm. sends power, right? It, it's, it's a dock in that sense. So, mm -hmm. so that would be the right way to test. This is power on the left side, display on the left side and see what happens and then try different permutations thereof to, to get to the rest of that. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we'll revisit this because I'm curious. You're our, you're our in-house test case, um, socially distanced, of course, uh, to uh, to be able to test this, so so try things on different sides if you would, and then we'll we'll go from there. And yeah, and if anybody has that machine and is experiencing this, let us know. Because yeah, I, I found out actually. Uh, you know, it's like I I don't think I've ever had my MacBook Pro up until very recently um, spin the fans so loud that I would hear them. Mm. Um, I actually did have that happen last night, Dave, in that I was running um, uh, The Sims. I hadn't run it for a while. So I have yeah. The Sims on the computer. Sure. And as soon as I ran that, the fans cranked up to like 5,000 RPM, which is distracting. Sure. And the only way I could figure to solve it was you got to go. In. I, I went into the game and said, yeah, you know, I don't really need super graphics here. You can like tone it down a bit and that solved the problem did you try turbo boost switcher because that might also have solved the problem no i don't have um, oh you I think they have a test version yeah it's, well the i mean the, the light version is available to use all the time you just have mm -hmm. the 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 main there's two differences the the light version requires you to authenticate every time you you disable turbo boost so i mean it's fine but you know it's not as mm -hmm. convenient and then you, with the pro version, it deals with that. It's only like 10 bucks. And then you can also have it automatically 
do it based on which apps are running. So in your case, if you find that it helps when you run the Sims, you could have it automatically throttle Turbo Boost down only when you're running the Sims and then open it back up the rest of the time. So, um, right. Another solution. And, and for this you? is another. Well, and this is another app that it it defaults to using the Radeon and there's really no way to tell it not to, because I think the ad, sure. apps themselves will say, hey, I need. Yeah. Give me the I best need, you got. Yeah. Give me the best you got. And there's really no way to undo that as far as I can tell. Okay. So uh, one other thing is wear headphones and then you won't worry about your fans going. That was my thought. <laughs> Um, John, I, I might need to walk back on, on this. It, I have a very specific use case, but it might be, it might be enough. And it's that eight might not be enough. Uh, so, you know, I'm still testing that 2020 MacBook air that we talked about last week. And I said, eight's enough. I have had two instances where I woke up the computer and found that it took, you know, minutes before it stopped thrashing to finally give me control. The CPU was pegged, but it was that it was using, you know, six, seven gigabytes of, uh, of, of swap space. Now I've, t I've narrowed it down to one app. If I have, if I have left Firefox running, when I put my Mac to sleep, I experienced this disaster. So now if I, <laughs> If I if I if I'm if I wake it up and I see that, oh, holy crap, like it's doing this again. I just force quit Firefox and immediately everything just like, you know, flows around and it's great. And if I don't leave Firefox running, then eight's perfectly enough. I don't know. It, I don't like and it's not like I have 25 tabs open. If I'm using Firefox at most, I have three, two or three tabs open. It's not my daily driver browser. I use it to test other things or whatever. So it's not like. I've got, you know, 75 tabs open and they're all playing video or anything. It's not it's not anything like that. So I I need to do more experimenting, but I, I did want to, you know, share that uh, I certainly and I have I, this particular workflow has not changed from my 2018 air with 16 gigs of RAM to this 2020 test air with eight gigs of RAM. So I think that I have been experiencing this before. I just never noticed it because I had the RAM for the system to for Firefox to do whatever the heck Firefox thinks it needs to do on wake up or at least with RAM usage. So I I so, yes, as as um, as Mike LaPlante says in, in our chat at live.macgeekab.com, eight is not enough for Firefox. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um let's uh let's get back on track here because you alluded to this next question which is about displays and uh and listener john says i upgraded to a mac mini 2018 from a previous 2012 one and i'm still using the apple thunderbolt display but it seems there's some slowness and lag at times for the display to present changes and uh and and he says, I'm not talking about heavy photography or video work, but rather just normal office productivity type stuff. I'm assuming that the Thunderbolt display and connection is old enough that perhaps it's limiting performance and display of the Mac. I, that I don't know. Um, he says, I remember a couple episodes ago where you discussed different monitor choices for the 2018 mini. 
Uh, what monitors do you recommend uh, or would you point me to for this new machine? He says the heaviest work I would be doing is interactive video conferences. Uh, he says my intention is to either replace the Thunderbolt display or make it a secondary display with the newer one as primary. And I'm looking for something in the reasonable price range of, say, 200 to 400 ish. So I've been really happy with my mono price displays. I have one sitting to the right of me here in the studio and John has the newer version of that sitting on his desk in front of him. Lisa also has the newer version. Uh, I think pretty much the same one you have, John. They keep revving it, so I, I just get whatever the you know the latest is. But uh, right now, that is the uh, Monoprice Crystal. Well, let me make sure I've got the the right name to say here. Three seven nine. Yeah, three seven nine two three is the part number at at Monoprice. And that is the Monoprice 27-inch Crystal Crystal Pro monitor. It's a 4K UHD display, uh, which means that it does retina. UHD is the rest of the world's term for retina uh, with Apple. I mean, sort of. On a 27-inch display, UHD is mm, close enough to retina. Apple likes to do it with a 5K display, which you can't really get. But it's 360 bucks. A great little display. Well, great 27 inch display, whether that's big or little, that's up to you. And, um, and so there you go. Uh, really, really nicely done. And then, and then they've got their vivid one for, I think 40 bucks more, which will be linked from that page, but I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes. We have not tested the, the vivid one here, but, uh, but there you go. So you like yours, right, John? Oh, I'm thrilled with it. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, it's, uh, Nice and bright. And it's interesting because Dave, actually, if I go into system info graphics displays um, for this monitor, it actually says resolution 5120 by 2880 and in parentheses 5K slash UHD plus. I don't have it at that resolution, of course, but I don't think that machine will that screen will not do that. That screen tops out. It's a UHD display, oh, right. which means that it tops out at, oh, what's the resolution? 3840 by 2160. That is hmm. UHD. So so where did you go to find this? This is interesting because I should be able to see the same thing here. Because I If have, I go, it, well, run system info yep. and then look under hardware graphics displays. And for this screen, it believes the resolution of it is 5120 by 2880 for yes. the maximum. Because because it is um, doing it, it, the resolution is is adapting to that same resolution that you would use on an Apple 5K display. So it's taking mm -hmm. that 3840 by 2160 and adapting it to to what you would see at 5120 by 2880. That's right. Um, and, and you do this by going into system preferences, displays, and then uh, once that's up, you will get a, a screen that says you can either use the resolution that's default for the display or scaled. And on a 27 inch screen, you want to use scaled. And what you want to do is choose the option that says looks like 2560 by 1440. And this is why it's saying that it's retinizing it to 5120 by 2880. It's not. It's taking 3840 by mm. 2160 and cramming the pixels, you know, one pixel into two to get that smooth retina look and bringing it to a 2560 by 1440 resolution, which is the whole idea. 
on Apple's 5K screen, a.k.a. 5120 by 2880 screen, you get this at a two to one. On a 3840, a.k.a. 4K screen, you get this at less than two to one, but it still looks retinized, at least to my eyes and most people's eyes. So so that's what you want to do. You want to get it down to 2560 by 1440. And Apple, like you said, will say that it, what it looks like is this, you know, 2560 by 1440. Right. Is that what yours is? It says UI looks like 2560 by 1440. Yes. OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Right. Well, yeah. That and that screen that you talked about, I, I just answered my own question. So I'm like, you know, I miss the days when they showed the actual resolution, you know, X by Y yeah, or Y by X. Or, um, actually, you can you can see that. And I just fiddled around with the keys and find out. So if you click, if you hold down um, option, option. <laughs> and click on scaled, yes. it'll then give you a list of, of the resolutions that correspond to the icons that are showing you there right so. that's right and you can choose a lot more of them too that's right yeah mm -hmm. so yeah setting your higher definition screen at 27 inches down to 2560 gives you that apple retina resolution bit uh character size window size and view so yeah mm -hmm. cool yeah i know i love these mono price displays they're they it's great i'm and, you know, Monoprice is smart. They they look at high end stuff and decide, OK, what is it about this that's important to keep high end and what isn't? And so for this, it's the glass. Right. You know, so they they take the glass and then and then they sort of, you know, like, OK, well, we can build a stand around this for less than, say, you know, HP or uh, even Dell charges for a stand. Okay, great. You know, fine. We'll do that. And then they 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 build around the important stuff and and are able to deliver you. You know, I think my screen I got on special for Monoprice for like two ninety nine or something. Um, you know, which is it's great. It's great. But this one, you know, three sixty or whatever, four hundred bucks. Like that's a to me that's a you know a reasonable price for a twenty seven inch um, quality screen. So yeah, good. All right. Uh, let's see. Where are we here time wise? OK, we I promised several listeners that we would get to this. And I even alluded to it in the beginning of the show. We had three questions about DAX. That's digital to analog converters for your audio. We don't get these questions. And then this week, three of them. So we'll start with Brent and uh, and we'll see where we get here. So uh, Brent's question is. It's a geeky one. It's not really geeky about audio, though. It's more just geeky about our Macs. So this is good. Uh, he says, uh, I have a 2013 27-inch iMac running the latest Catalina, and I have an Audio Engine D1 DAC uh, connected via USB. That's how this DAC connects. It's actually the one that I use in the office. And it makes a huge difference in sound. I will just say that out front. Like, having a DAC between your Mac and your speakers, it... it the, the width of the stereo field changed dramatically for me. And I, I it's amazing. Anyway, uh, he says, uh, it's it's my understanding that my Max, my IMAX USB parts, I've got four of them and they are all USB three. He says, I was recently playing around with the audio MIDI setup and was trying to increase the uh, sample rate to 88 kilohertz. He says, I sometimes hear a bit of popping and cracking sound. I believe at the higher sample rates, it uses more bandwidth. So I looked at my system information and noticed that under USB, 
this DAC, the D1, connects to the USB 2 hub in System Info and always has a max speed of 12 megabits per second. That seems slow to me. Not sure if that's a limit of the D1. I've tried plugging it into different USB ports with the same result. Is there something I can do to increase this? So the short answer is no, there's nothing you can do to increase this. We'll talk about why, but the reality is it doesn't matter because USB audio or audio in general doesn't take up a whole lot of bandwidth. So uh, I happen to have this exact same DAC, so I was able to set it. And I uh, the max that you can set this to is 24 bits at 96K. Okay. Uh, using a calculator that I found online to calculate audio bit rates for uncompressed audio. So raw audio sent at 2496 stereo, two channels, uh, tops out at about 4.6 megabits. So you've got headroom of, well, your headroom is double what you're using, or you've got triple the amount of bandwidth that you need on a 12 megabit USB bus to send two channels of ultra high quality audio. Uh, to go in a little deeper here, I think there's a couple reasons that they would have chosen to put a USB. Your computer says USB 2, but John, as you pointed out in our pre-show, 12 megabits a second is not USB 2, is it? That's USB 1. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, But as but, you pointed out, doing the math, that that's, that's uh, all you should need. be enough for, for, yeah. for audio. audio. For audio, right. And so certainly cost is one of those things. Why put more in than you need? Perhaps power is another one, right? Because it, it I don't know this, but it would seem that maybe a faster USB chip would cause some uh, more power draw. Uh, and this is, remember, this is an audio, a, a digital to analog converter. And so you need to stage the power in the device such that, any power noise from the USB bus is separated from the uh, the actual DAC chip so that you're not sending uh, noisy USB power out to your speakers. Because why have a high quality DAC if it's going to be noisy because of the way you staged your power? So maybe that's part of it. We also know that USB three. Well, maybe that was just hard drives, right? But caused problems with Wi-Fi and, and those sorts of things. But my guess is it's just a cost thing. Is that why bother paying for a, a connector and, and chipset that you're not going to use? Let's go with the, the one that you are. And there's probably one that's tried and true for them that they know. And it's like, well, we'll keep using that. So I think I think that's probably it. So, yeah. But interesting little I I never had done that math before. So there you go. It's good to do the math sometimes, John. Right. I like it. It's good to do the math. Okay. Uh, any more thoughts on this one before we move on to Rich? Nope. Okay. So Rich asked, he says, um, he asked a question and then he answered it himself with something that I had certainly forgotten about, John. He says, I'm looking to play iTunes from my wife's laptop uh, on her desk in her office to our good stereo in the other room. He says, I could use an Airport Express, which I have, but what I want is USB output that I can connect to the separate DAC that I have. Uh, and then the Airport Express, because the Airport Express only has analog output with its crummy little noisy DAC in it, which it is a crummy noisy DAC in there. It's fine, but if he's already got a high quality one, why not go with it? 
He says, yes, I have Ethernet running to the area where the stereo is. He says, I also have a Mac Mini at my disposal, but not sure if we could get iTunes on another computer to use without installing something. Uh, he said, it, you know, that Mac Mini is old. I'm not sure if it would be the right thing there. Uh, he referenced an old uh, product called the, the from Sonore, uh, S-O-N-O-R-E, the Micro, micro Rendu, which is an audio file solution. It has an Ethernet port on it, and it's its own little DAC. Uh, it's an airplay destination. It's all of those things. And but he's looking for, you know, they, those cost about 450 bucks or something. So he's looking for something even used. And so he's looking for something that could just do this. But then he did answer his own question because he realized that the Airport Express, the the uh, mini eighth headphone jack, if you will, on that doesn't just carry analog, John. It also is an optical out, just like the old jacks on our Mac laptops used to be. And uh, and so he plugged in a Toslink cable with the right adapter into his Airport Express, plugs that into his DAC. So he gets digital audio from the Airport Express to the DAC. The DAC does the conversion. It's not noisy. It's not even connected electric electronically. So there's no noise from that because it, there's no grounding issues or anything. It's just light. Uh, and he says, so then he's good to go. And, you know, the, the DAC has its own staged power and all that stuff. So it does all the heavy lifting. He's just letting the airport express be the thing in the middle. Honestly, that's a great solution for this kind of thing. If you want to run a DAC, uh, a higher quality DAC somewhere else, use one with with optical input and uh, and use an airport express as your as your path there. I have some other ideas, but I'm not sure they're better than that one. We talked about that, um, that thing in the last episode. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's that, um, uh, airplay device that was like 40 bucks or something. The ACE Mac, the audio cast. But my guess is that you're not going to be, if you're looking to have a high quality deck, you're not going to find one in a $40, uh, device. That's just my guess. I haven't tested one of those yet, but, it seems to stand a reason, but it is an airplay device. So that would be handy. But then there's all the music cast stuff from Yamaha. And so that would be a way to, to potentially go here. Um, but you, I don't know that you're going to save any money, but it is airplay. Uh, you know, the music cast stuff from Yamaha is all airplay capable. So that's certainly a way that you could go. And I'll, I'll put a link to, to that in the show notes for sure. Because, um, because there you go. So, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, John? Did you did you know that your your Airport Express was um, was oh yeah optical? Oh okay, cool. Yeah, and actually, um, when I got my new TV, you suggested this. Uh, use the you can use the or I use my TV. Yeah. Um, as the switch and the audio from so i got all all three hdmi connections going into it depending on what device is going into it sure and then i take the output from the tv and it's uh, as you stated so i got a toss link connection between my tv and my tuner and then yep. that goes out to the analog audio so yeah eliminate those noisy analog paths if you can possibly do it absolutely yeah so my question is Many TVs, but certainly not all. In fact, I should probably say some TVs will only output two channels on their toss link, not 5.1. They will downsample it to 2.0. Uh, I know my Panasonic TVs do that. 
so if you use your TV as the HDMI switch box, which I think is what you're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, your TV will only some TVs. My TV will only send out two channel on that, uh, which is kind of a pain in the neck. So that that's why I wind up using this weird mono price switch box to do my HDMI switching because it pulls out optical at 5.1 um, or 7.1 if I want. Do you have you looked? Do you know which your TV does? Um, it passes. It'll pass more than two channels because my tuner shows me the decoding. So it's like, oh Perfect. yeah, you got DTS three slash two dot one or whatever. Yep. No, that's it. That's so where you would see it. Is right there on the tuner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. So your TV doesn't suffer from that. Not. I would say the majority of TVs these days do not suffer from that. But but there there mm-hmm. like I said there are. It is something to think about. Um, if you're going to use your TV as your uh, audio generation device, no, audio pass through mm-hmm. device, I think is a better mm-hmm. term for that. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, there we go. And uh, and John, I think that's going to uh, that's going to bring us to the end of this one, my friend. It's time because you know it's time. I can see it. The the clock. It's mm-hmm. it's right there, and it's telling me we've we've been. We've been at this long enough today. In fact, mm-hmm. it's been quite enough. Yeah. Uh, thanks everybody for hanging out with us in the uh, in the chat room and in the in the various live streams that we have and their related chat rooms. It's uh, they they help all of us. I say they. I mean, we're all part of the same family. But the, when you come to the chat, you really do help us because we're able to make sure that we're not missing things and uh, you folks help create the show notes and all of that stuff so it really makes a huge difference we really appreciate it uh we have we have some apple podcast reviews that i want to share here john and so i am going to uh pull those up if i can but i i where did they go why are they not here anymore oh there we go right so we have uh, we have a review from CDG683 that says, I've been learning so much from John and Dave. One of the f- main things I've learned is how to have a good attitude when your Mac acts up and does weird, unexplainable things. Even the pros get some sometimes. Absolutely. But they've created a nice community where everybody helps each other. Thank you for that. That's uh, that's what we do. Absolutely. We got two in brand new. Actually, three, I think, brand new this week. Uh the best Apple tech podcast from Dub Sativa in Spain. Uh, it says, thank you very much to John F. Braun and Dave Hamilton for making this great podcast. You learn a lot of new tips and tricks in every episode. Very clearly explained. Congratulations. Well, thank you, Dub Sativa. I like it. And Danbo99 from the U.S. says, I listened to a few podcasts about Macs and Apple. I just discovered this one. I like that this show isn't about Mac news and rumors. They have great advice, tips, apps, reviews, and different ways of doing things. It is one of my favorites already. Thanks for saying that. That's great. Fun stuff. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Should we do one more? Two more? Draw D99 from the United States. If you want to leave your own, please do. We'll read it on the show. I promise. Go to macgeekgab.com slash reviews, and that will get you as close as we can get you to be able to leave us a review in, in iTunes, and it's it really does help. It's great. Uh, so Drotty99 from the U.S. says, Always learn something. After retiring from a company that was all into Windows, I purchased my first Mac. MGG has been a wonderful learning tool. I never miss an episode. Highly recommended. Job well done to John and Dave. 
and Petter Hall from the United States. We've had many questions from you, Petter. Thank you uh, for the review. Friendly and very knowledgeable hosts. I've been listening for years. This is a great podcast if you're into Apple products more than your average consumer grade. So thanks for all the kind words, folks. We really, really appreciate it. We appreciate everything. We appreciate being able to do this. It's uh, it's become a really nice focus point for the week for all of us, I think. Um, we're appreciative of that, too. Send us your feedback to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Did you say feedback at MacGeekGab.com? Yeah, I said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right. Uh, unless you're a premium listener, in which case premium at MacGeekGab.com is where you'll send your stuff in. I want to make sure to thank all of our sponsors, of course. That includes devontechnologies.com slash MGG, Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com, purple.com slash MGG. It's really cool tech. you got to check that stuff out. And uh, you'll sleep better, too. And you'll sleep better with a server from linode.com slash MGG as well. And, of course, all of our ongoing sponsors that, uh, that, that help everything we do here. Uh, we've got smilesoftware.com slash podcast eero.com slash mgg it's true all kinds of stuff it's great barebones.com we've got you thanks for the questions the tips the help it's great we love it we love it john what do you say what do i say what do I think? Here's what I think, Dave. It's very important, especially in these trying times, that you don't get caught. Made up.